0: You may be seated, and when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to Romans chapter 4. Today we're looking at uh, the last section in Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 25, uh, but as is our custom, we'll start reading uh, the text we looked at uh, previously, the last time we were gathered, and so we're going to read the entire chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Romans I'd remind you that this is God's inspired, infallible, and holy word. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations." In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Lord, we do thank you for this fourth chapter of Romans. And we do pray as we think about it and as we meditate on it, as we think about what your word has already said in earlier chapters of this book or in other parts of your word, Lord, we pray that our understanding of your word would become clearer. And we pray that our love for Christ and the gospel would become stronger. Lord, we do ask that you would do a work, that you would help us today, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your direction. Uh, we'd ask these things in Christ's name, amen. There's a, a famous statement about the only thing that is said to be certain in this life Uh, The quote goes, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. You know uh, that statement, right? You've uh, no doubt uh, heard that. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And that quote is often attributed to Benjamin Franklin and it's an interesting quote, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting because one, on the one hand, paradoxically, uncertainty is considered certain. And on the other hand, it reflects something that we can all identify with, the inevitability of death and the unavoidable obligation of paying taxes. Our text is about something certain. Something that is absolutely certain. The promises of God. If you scan our text, you'll see the word promise appears five times in the text. And the word faith appears five times as well. This text is about believing God's promises. This text underscores the importance of trusting God's promises and draws our attention to the exemplary life of Abraham. It calls believers to follow his example by firmly placing their faith in Jesus who embodies the fulfillment of God's promises. Paul begins by discussing the importance of faith and he explains how Abraham's righteousness came through faith in God's promise. He highlights that righteousness is obtained by faith and not by works of the law. And he emphasizes the firm foundation of faith as the basis of receiving God's promises. That's our first heading, the firm foundation of faith. The firm foundation of faith. Last week, we learned that obtaining righteousness through faith is like building our foundation on solid rock, Faith rooted in trust and dependence on God becomes the bedrock upon which our relationship with him is established. We should acknowledge that our own efforts are insufficient and that true righteousness can only be obtained through God's grace. Faith recognizes that it's not about what we can do for God, but rather what God has done for us through Christ. Paul has been laboring the doctrine of justification by faith alone through Romans 3 and 4. He's already appealed to Abraham to prove the point that there's only one way of salvation. God declares a person righteous or forgiven of their sins based on faith in Jesus Paul argued that before Abraham had done any works, before he had offered Isaac on the altar, before he had been circumcised, God counted Abraham as righteous because he believed the promise. And Paul continues to press home Abraham's example in verse 13, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Notice that Paul talks about the promise. He says that there are heirs to the promise. Paul affirms that the promise made to Abraham and his descendants, which includes the inheritance of the world, isn't based on adherence to the law, but on the righteousness of faith. Now listen, Jesus is the ultimate and proper heir as the son, as the son of God. But through faith and the imputation of his righteousness received by believers, we are adopted into the family of God and become co-heirs with him through our union with Christ, we share in the inheritance promised to Abraham, and we become heirs of God's kingdom. And Paul makes it clear that this inheritance is not received through the law, but through faith. In verse 14, you'll see that he writes, for if it for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If the inheritance were on, dependent upon the observance of the law, it would nullify the need for faith and undermine the promise of God. Paul's argument underscores the central role in faith in obtaining the promised inheritance. He highlights the contrast, you see, between the law and faith as the means of receiving God's blessing. The law doesn't bring inheritance. In verse 15, Paul says, for the law brings what? Wrath. The law brings wrath. If you put your confidence in the law, the outcome is wrath rather than the fulfillment of the promise. The law, while serving as a guide and revealing the standard of righteousness, cannot provide the means of attaining righteousness on its own. Instead, it exposes our inability to perfectly keep the law and highlights It highlights our need for a Savior. Verse 15 continues by saying, Where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, without the law, there is no sin, which is what the Apostle is saying here. However, there is a law, isn't there? There is a law and the law isn't some moral abstract standard that we just refer to as the law the law of god is a personal matter it's a personal matter when we sin we don't just sin against some abstract norm or piece of legislation we sin against god like we sin against jesus God's wrath is his righteous and just anger and judgment against sin and rebellion. It's a manifestation of his holiness and his intolerance towards anything that opposes his perfect nature and will. And understand, understand the wrath of God is not driven by a, a vindictive or malicious intent. No, it's driven by his commitment to upholding justice and righteousness. It's a necessary response to sin, which is an offense against God's character and a violation of his moral law. Paul says, The law brings wrath. And he continues in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul contrasts the law with faith stating that the law brings wrath and condemnation because no one can perfectly perfectly keep it. However, faith in the gospel brings justification and righteousness. It's through faith in Jesus who fulfilled the law on behalf of his people that righteousness is imputed to believers. The gospel brings righteousness apart from works because it acknowledges the insufficiency of the law and instead places trust in God's promise and the finished work of Christ. It's through faith that believers receive the gift of righteousness not by their own efforts or adherence to the law, and you see that the promise is available to all who believe. And what does verse 16 say? It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. When we consider God's faithfulness and his unchanging character, we see how he consistently. Keeps his promises. Scripture assures us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unlike people who may waver or change their minds, God remains steadfast and reliable. His faithfulness is an inherent part of who he is. God is trustworthy. He's reliable and can be counted on to fulfill what he has promised. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 declares, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You see, God's character and integrity ensure that his promises will come to pass. They will come to pass. God is going to keep every single promise that he's made to you. Do you hear that? He is going to keep every single promise that he is, has made to you. It is certain it will not fail. As we consider God's unwavering faithfulness and his commitment to fulfill every promise that he's made, we're reminded of the remarkable example of trust that we see in the life of Abraham. Just as God is trustworthy and true to his word, Abraham displayed an unwavering faith in God's promises, even in the face of seemingly impossible circumstances. We see Abraham's model of trust. That's our second heading, Abraham's model of trust. If you look at verse 17, you see that Paul quotes Genesis 17, verse 5, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Paul quotes this text to emphasize God's power and his ability to bring about what seems to be humanly impossible. Paul uses this quote to illustrate Abraham's unwavering faith in God's promise of descendants, highlighting that God can call into existence things that do not yet exist. He underscores the supernatural nature of God's work and his ability to fulfill his promises even in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. When we talk about faith, faith that saves, there's information that must be understood. You need to understand what the gospel message is. And you need to believe that it's true. But faith goes beyond mere acknowledgement and involves a genuine conviction in the mind and in the heart, a genuine Conviction. It goes beyond intellectual assent and it involves a personal trust or reliance on the object of faith, which is Jesus. Faith is a confident and wholehearted trust in God's faithfulness, goodness, and ability to fulfill his promises. And we see that in the life of Abraham. In verse 18, Paul continues, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. God's promise to Abraham that he was going to have a son and that he was going to make him a father of many nations. That is the problem that he, or the promise that he didn't waver from. And that's a staggering promise. But it was also a biological impossibility for Abraham and Sarah to have offspring. Listen, people in those days lived to be older than we do currently. But Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was barren. And yet God said that Sarah would have a child. Abraham looked at himself and his wife and what did he see? He saw a hopeless situation. Maybe you're feeling maybe you're feeling the same way about something. But consider what Abraham did. He looked at the one who made the promise. And he realized instantly that there was nothing hopeless about it. The only thing hopeless was the idea that the promise would not come to pass because it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to break a promise. Abraham was confident in God's ability to bring forth life from the dead God has the ability to bring about what he has promised and no obstacle or circumstance can thwart his plan Isaiah 55:11 declares so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You see, God's faithfulness and his promises are backed by his omnipotence, by his power, by his ability to make all of his holy will come to pass. And you'll notice that verse 20 characterizes Abraham's faith It says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. We talked about that last week. While Abraham demonstrated remarkable faith and obedience throughout his life, he also had moments of doubt and uncertainty. For example, he initially doubted God's promise of a son and he tried to fulfill it by his own efforts in having a child with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Hagar. And you might remember that Abraham also lied about Sarah being his wife out of fear for his life on multiple occasions and sometimes to uh, disastrous consequences. You'll notice that verse 20 says Abraham grew strong in his faith. God strengthens his people through the power of the Spirit the Holy Spirit empowers believers, enabling them to grow in faith and overcome challenges. And God uses the challenges we faith we face to strengthen our faith. Romans 5 and James 1 both teach us that through trials, our faith is tested and refined, producing endurance and character, strengthening our faith. These experiences can deepen our trust with God and shape us into more mature and resilient followers of Christ. Again, Abraham's faith wasn't perfect, but his overall pattern of faith and trust in God's promises are commended in Scripture It's important to recognize that genuine faith doesn't require perfection, but rather a sincere and ongoing trust in God, even in the face of doubts and struggles. Abraham's faith serves as an example of how imperfect individuals can be counted righteous by God through faith. You see, Abraham's salvation came through faith. It wasn't the strength of his faith that saved him. No, it was God, the object of his faith, who saved him. Abraham, through his trust in God's promises, exemplifies the power of faith. His confidence in God's ability to fulfill what he had spoken fueled his hope even in the face of seemingly insurmountable circumstances. And as the text continues, it discusses God as the faithful promise keeper. That's our third heading the faithful promise keeper. The faithful promise keeper. Paul highlights. Abraham as an example of faith in verse 23 when he says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Uh, Paul is drawing our attention back to Genesis 15 verse six when he says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul draws our attention back to the phrase, it was counted to him to emphasize the significance of faith in the life of Abraham. The phrase it was counted to him signifies that Abraham's faith was credited or reckoned as righteousness before God. Paul uses this example to teach that righteousness is obtained not through works or adherence of the law, but through faith in the gospel. We talked about that word uh, credited before, right? Uh, I said that, that it's an accounting term. It carries the idea of uh, crediting uh, something to your account. You're familiar with that term. Uh, your account gets credited and it gets debited, right? And we like it when we receive uh, a credit to our accounts. Well, this word, it carries uh, that idea, a God-credited righteousness to Abraham's account because of faith, not because of works. Uh, other translations of the Bible might use the word imputed instead of counted. Imputation is a concept that relates to the transfer or reckoning of something to someone else's account. So they're synonymous terms, right? In the context of salvation, it refers to the imputation of Christ's righteousness to believers while their sins are imputed to Christ. It involves a twofold imputation, the imputation of our sins to Christ and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Our sins and guilt are transferred to Jesus who took up them upon himself. He took upon the penalty and punishment of our sins on the cross. In exchange, the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited or imputed to believers, covering their sins and providing them with a the righteous standing before God. The Apostle Paul writes about this exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21, saying, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was sinless, took our sin upon himself, bearing the consequences while we who are sinful receive his righteousness as a gift through faith. This marvelous exchange occurs because of Christ's work of redemption. Our sins are imputed to him and his righteousness is imputed to us. Our sins are imputed to him and his righteousness to us. It emphasizes the great love and grace of God who offers us forgiveness and new standing before him based on Christ's righteousness. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And Paul reminds us in verse 24 that those words were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Building upon the context of Abraham's faith, Paul emphasizes that the promise made to Abraham finds their fulfillment in Jesus the text says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This highlights the redemptive work of Christ who fulfills the promises of salvation and justification, ensuring their completion. When Paul speaks of Abraham's justification by faith. He's simply saying that Abraham was justified by the righteousness of Christ. The only difference between the justification of Abraham is that Abraham looked forward to the promise. He trusted in the promise of a redeemer, whereas we look back at the work of Jesus. The only difference is the time frame of where The object of our faith is Abraham's faith looked forward and our faith looks backward, but the ground of Abraham's justification is exactly the same as ours, the person and work of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates that he is the faithful promise keeper through his life, death, and resurrection. He fulfills the promises made to Abraham and the Old Testament prophecies, revealing God's faithfulness in bringing salvation to humanity. Jesus' perfect obedience, sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection display God's unwavering commitment to fulfill his promises. Through Jesus, God proves his trustworthiness, showing that he is true and that his word can be relied upon and that he will fulfill every promise that he has made. This text reminds us of the certainty of God's promises. Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, we are called to place our faith in Christ. He secures our justification and he fulfills God's promises. Abraham's example of trusting God's promises teaches us that faith goes beyond intellectual assent. It involves a wholehearted trust and reliance on God. Despite facing seemingly impossible circumstances, Abraham believed in God's power to bring about what he had promised. His faith grew stronger as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God's faithfulness is unchanging and reliable. He's trustworthy, and he will fulfill every promise that he has made to you. His promise of salvation isn't dependent upon works or adherence to the law, but is received through faith. This text calls you to follow the example of Abraham and to place your faith in Jesus. Trust in his finished work of salvation for you and rely on his faithfulness to fulfill every promise. And as you do, you can have confidence that God will keep his word and that your justification and the fulfillment of God's promises are secure in him. In a world of uncertainty, where death and taxes are considered certain, we can find true certainty in the hope of God's promises. Anchor your faith in him, knowing that he is faithful and his promises will never fail. May we be like our father Abraham walking in faith, in his footsteps even, experiencing the blessings that come from placing our trust in Christ, the faithful promise keeper. Amen. Lord, you have made many promises in your word. You know the ones that we cling to Lord, they become especially hard to believe when the storms of life come. You have said that you have redeemed our suffering, that all things are working together for our good, that you will take the things of this life And that you will use them to advance your kingdom and to shape your people into your image. Lord, we would ask that you would empower us by your Spirit, that you would enable us to know your word, uh, to commit your promises to our memory and to our hearts, and to cling to them by faith. Lord, we know that you are faithful. And yet our faith is weak. Lord, strengthen us. Help us. Give us endurance. Give us perseverance, we pray. Help us to cling and rejoice in the righteousness you've given us in Christ. We would ask all these things that we might follow in Christ's footsteps, even unto his glory. We'd ask it in his name. Amen.